This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Visit bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 79th ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing great today, Cameron. Got a lot of, a lot of uh, new stuff going on today. First yeah. of all, it's a Saturday. You want to explain to everybody why we're uh, recording on a Saturday? Well... Here's the thing, everybody. I was really sick on Thursday <laughs> night. We typically record on Thursday nights, but I was um, in the in the death throes of coronavirus. Not really. Oh my don't don't panic. It was just a simple little illness that I'm now over, and uh, I'll be sure to disinfect the mic, wash my hands, make sure everything's okay. But I feel much better now, and so we decided to just postpone the episode, record today on Saturday, and also kind of makes sense with the. Uh, with the the last few games of the Mizzou basketball schedule because um, if we had recorded on Thursday as usual, we would have just had one game left. So we never actually previewed the Alabama game. Missouri just won that game. Um, Just watched the end of it right here in the studio. And so we never previewed that, but we'll just recap the last three games, uh, preview the SEC tournament as best we can. So there are a few games left uh, that will decide a few things, but... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, I, was wor- I was worried there for a while. Might have to get tested for coronavirus, but we're all good. Well, that'd be an honor to be the first person in uh, Missouri to have that, wouldn't it? I it's, feel like anybody that gets sick right now, you're just like yeah. thinking like, oh, okay. Like, here, here we go. Like, okay, what are the symptoms <laughs> just in case? Yeah. Well, it's an honor to be trapped in this room with you. So hopefully you're yeah over that illness. Glad you're feeling better. Uh, speaking of right here in the studio... We're in a new studio. New space. Very nice space. Uh, Revel Advertising moved to a new location, and it's just fantastic. So um, we've got a new little studio. If you are subscribed to us on YouTube, you're going to see that in the thumbnail. Um, If you're not, head over there if you want to take a look. After we get everything set up, maybe we'll do a little studio tour. Oh, wow. That would be exciting. Yeah. Um, Kyle, we have a lot of basketball to talk about, but before we get too deep into that we do have a few little uh, newsworthy notes to talk about I actually remembered that was coming this time so I just gave a little pause I feel like last week he was like yeah, producer camera was like really it. trying to work it in there <laughs> when I paused at the right time um, was there anything that we need to talk about just kind of finish up uh, discussion of the NFL combine uh, it was kind of going on while we were recording last week we talked about albert o he had amazing um results on the uh, athletic drills and things um i think the only thing that we we didn't really cover because i think this news came out after we recorded last week was that tristan colon castillo had a strained pectoral muscle and i think it happened maybe during his his bench press uh drill so he only ended up getting 11 which is obviously pretty low for offensive linemen he they said that he had been doing like upper 20s uh, normally so that makes a lot more sense that we, makes we sense. remarked last week that that seemed really low for a offensive lineman and that adds a little uh 
clears that up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I did see, I think that he'll get, they'll have a Mizzou pro day and he'll get to uh, attempt that again. So, yep. Um, big news in Missouri football um, outside of the University of Missouri, the Chiefs, you may have heard of them, uh, Super Bowl champs. They hired former Mizzou, longtime Mizzou assistant coach Andy Hill. Um, I just saw a headline. I didn't really dig deeper into it. Um, obviously, if anybody's a Mizzou fan, they recognize that name. He had been on the Mizzou staff, like one of the, I think, like the second longest tenured Mizzou assistant in the history of the program. Yeah, I think he had been on the staff for like 15 or 20 years. Um, he had done just about everything. Um, coached pretty pretty much everything on the offense and then obviously special teams was what he was doing uh, most recently and Mizzou's special teams was really bad the last few years and I don't know sometimes that goes beyond a coach sometimes that's a little bit out of their control maybe um, but uh, whenever we brought in a new coach obviously it was it made sense that it was time to part ways probably um and I, I don't know how close he is to retirement. And I think a lot of people thought that he might just retire after this year so that he didn't have to be fired. But since uh, Barry Odom was fired, uh, it just kind of made sense that he would find something else. Um, but, I, you know, I, what, what is his title for the Chiefs? It's like assistant special teams coach or something yeah. like that. Uh, the Chiefs have a fantastic special teams coach in uh, Dave Tobe. And I thought I think for a long time people thought that he would find a uh, a head coaching job in the NFL somewhere. So I don't know if that will happen, but they are kind of already in good hands. The, the Chiefs are in, as far as special teams go. So I don't know if Andy Hill is going to be able to mess things up over there. So <laughs> Yeah, he's just listed as assistant special teams coach. Okay, so good for him, I guess. Um, obviously, wish him the best since he's obviously been a part of Mizzou's football, football history for a long time. Hashtag true son. Oh, yeah. Uh, future true son, Chance Looper, wide receiver, officially signed with Mizzou football. Uh, the son of assistant coach, Coach Looper. I can't remember his name. Curtis, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there was some speculation at the time that, that like well, on why he didn't sign on National Signing Day. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that he's going to be a preferred walk-on. Um, and then whenever he signed last week, I think people thought that maybe he might be on scholarship now. I think some of the beat reporters were saying he still is a preferred walk-on, so I'm not exactly sure what uh, what's going on there and why he just now signed. If he if his status isn't changing as far as scholarship goes, but uh, I, he's a guy that will be on scholarship at some point, probably. They maybe just needed to crunch the numbers a little bit and see if there were going to be any surprise uh, signings that needed a scholarship right. before they. Which I do think will happen. Um, there would probably still be some departures uh before between now and when the season starts and there'll probably be some additions as well we talked previously about christian holmes uh, officially joining the oklahoma state cowboys and am i crazy or did he recently release something on social media that was like a a really heartfelt uh thank you to mizzou fans um i think i remember seeing that but it was like a week ago or so i personally did not see it uh but it very well could have happened maybe i'm crazy i don't know you probably aren't Maybe that was like a fever dream I had Thursday night. <laughs> You're like, man, I just that was really nice of Christian Holmes to do that. <laughs> You're just laying in bed, like thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Any other news you think? Uh, other about? than uh, spring football started today. First practice of spring football. 
um, the practices are going to be very open, right? Yeah. That's what I've heard that yeah. they're going to be. As well as uh, hopefully some scrimmages too will be open. Um, that's definitely kind of a policy change. And that was something that kind of changed over time with Barry Odom. I remember when he first came in, I mean, it was like vacuum sealed, like Everything nobody's getting lockdown. in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he kind of lightened up on that uh, over his tenure, but um, definitely Eli Drinkwitz coming in here doing things totally different. Saw some kind of some funny videos of him just at practice today, just kind of running around in drills. He's just kind of a, a goofy guy, um, but I think the players will like him. When you're when you get to be the one that's controlling what actually gets released to the public, there's almost no harm that can come from you know letting the football social media team watch you at practice and get a few nice clips makes you look relatable and all that all that sort of thing which i don't think he has any problem with that i think he is very good at speaking to the public and coming across as relatable yeah i mean you can you can spend really anything anyway and he's obviously somebody that's capable of that i don't think that there's really anything that we're going to be able to take from these practices and like if we're an opposing scout or something and be like oh man we're really going to have to you know, lockdown. So, so, I mean, the things that you can tell from game footage are immensely more valuable to opposing teams. And once you play one game, you've like already like exponentially given away more information you could ever give in a practice. Yeah. So it's just, in my opinion, not worth like locking down practice and making all the like reporters hate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Uh, all right. Then you ready to talk about basketball? We were officially at the end of the season, the end of the regular season. It's it's always kind of a sad time. And I talked about this, like, I think three games into the season this year, how bas- college basketball season is so short compared to other major sports. When college basketball season starts and you're a couple or a few games into it, I can't help but think, oh, man, this sucks. Like, Yeah, that's how I feel about college football even more so, but yeah. definitely college basketball. It we waited so long for college basketball to get here, and then there it goes. It's gone. Yeah, it is is bittersweet because the regular season's quick and it's coming to an end. Um, however, here it comes, boys. March Madness is here, and it's well documented that it is probably my favorite sporting event in the world. How would it rank on your like times of the year? Times of the year. Uh, okay, well, let me lay this out for you. March Madness, as far as the NCAA tournament, is probably my single favorite sporting event. But when we, but. When we're talking about favorite time of the year, it's probably like fall. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, fall like at the start of college football season or yeah. like once like yeah. when basketball like and sep- football are going at the same time. Yeah, maybe. Probably Kyle's favorite. Like just year. that September, October yeah, yeah. range. Like it's a good time of year. Conference football starting out. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be like sports related either, but sports are oh, okay. a part of that for sure. But my favorite sporting event is... March Madness. I gotcha. Yeah, that Is makes that perfect clear? sense. Yeah, very clear. Very I clear. know that uh, you guys like to. Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll see what happens when Christmas rolls around, and then, <laughs> then we got to figure out how that falls into the the hierarchy of things. But yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, Kyle, how do you want to go about this? We got we got three games to sort of recap here. Uh, you want to just take it back to the Mississippi State game? Sounds good. Uh, Mississippi State beat Missouri. 67 to 63 um you kind of thought that missouri would hang in this one and they did um it was a back and forth game early 
Mississippi State closed the first half well. Uh, they took a 41 to 34 lead into halftime. Uh, Mizzou eventually went on a 13 to two run to tie it at 53 with about nine minutes left, but they never really could make the big play on offense to get on top. Um, Mizzou actually had the ball with a chance to tie or take the lead with less than two minutes left. And Drew Smith missed a three point attempt and basically Mississippi state just closed it out. Um, it was kind of one of those games where you felt like Mississippi state was having just enough of an off game to give Missouri a chance, but Missouri couldn't quite do enough on their own to actually put them on top or in a position to win. Yeah, I think Missouri did what they needed to do defensively to win. Uh, just weren't good enough. They just didn't score enough, and obviously that seems really obvious. But yeah. um, I, I think that they contained Reggie Perry enough to be able to win. Uh, um, held Mississippi State to uh, a poor enough shooting performance. I think that, that they probably should have pulled this out. Um but like you said, weren't able to get over the hump. Seems like they were just like kept getting there, kept getting there, and weren't able to uh, to get over. Yeah, I mean, from the time, I mean, they tied it at 53 with nine minutes left and then had the ball with the chance to take the lead with about two minutes left. And every, every possession in between there, it seemed like there was a few chances, you know, just like do something on offense, you know, get a stop, but then turn the ball over or miss a shot make a basket but then give up an easy basket on the other end they just Mm -hmm. couldn't string together even like three possessions that were decent i mean they did during the run to get back into the game Mm -hmm. but yeah it it just looks like the both times they played mississippi state this year they really struggled on offense which is weird because i don't think mississippi state isn't necessarily uh an elite defensive team i think they're probably in the triple digits in ken palm on defense so um i don't know if it's a it's a matchup thing or or what or if missouri just happened to have poor offensive shooting performances when they played against them, but uh, both games just couldn't get anything going against them. Uh, you did mention the way they handled Reggie Perry, and they were throwing an aggressive double team at him all game, and I think that it worked really well. Um, he had just 12 points on ten, uh, four of 10 shooting, so he did get to the, the free throw line, which that you, just, you know that's going to happen, but mm-hmm. he was inefficient and didn't he didn't do anything to beat Missouri. Yeah. And I think that's all you can ask for when you're talking about a all conference guy. Yeah. I think he's, I think he's going to win the, uh, I don't know. SEC player of the year. I guess. Yeah. I don't know how much goes into that as far as like how good your team has to be. Cause they're not going to be a top like two or three team, but yeah, I think he's been the best player in the SEC this year. Yeah. I think, I think there's a pretty good chance that he'll win some awards like that. At least he'll definitely be first, first team, team all, all sure. SEC. Um, there was a little trend uh, that had been going on the last few games and it continued into this one Um, Drew Smith and Xavier Penson were the main offensive contributors Um, they scored 39 of the team's 63 points but uh, what was more important than that they made all six of the Tigers three pointers so those two guys were six of 17 and the rest of the team was 0 for 12 um and that's 17 is a lot of three-pointers for two guys to shoot. Uh, Drew Smith was at seven, and Xavier Pinson attempted 10 three-pointers in this one. And really, we just probably needed a timely one of those other 12 to go down if it was during that run or you know during that last 10 minutes of the second half when Missouri was 
right there with them. Just one of those 12 to go down. Mm-hmm. And the last two minutes of this game are very different. Mm-hmm. But that's what happens when you're an inconsistent shooting team all season. You're going to have those kind of nights. Um, Mississippi State kind of set themselves apart by just being really successful inside. Um, everybody besides Reggie Perry, pretty much. Uh, the team as a whole shot 60% on 35 two-point attempts. So that's kind of where they made the difference, even though Missouri out-rebounded them by a bit, especially on the offensive glass. Um, overall, I th- that was kind of about how I thought it would go. Um, it was actually a little bit closer than I was thinking. I thought Mississippi State would have closer to an 8-12 to 12 lead the whole time. Instead, it was like two between 2 and 5 pretty much the whole second half. But uh, when you're playing a good team at home, you need more than just them. I don't know. You need you need a little. You can't just rely on them not showing up. Mm-hmm. You're gonna have to make some shots. Uh, that takes us to the Ole Miss game. So back to back games against Mississippi schools. Uh, Missouri lost this one, 75 to 67. Um, and it looked like it looked uglier than early it looked like this thing might be a complete disaster mm-hmm. I, it looked like they might get completely run out of the gym uh Ole Miss jumped out to a 16 to 5 lead uh, and they held a pretty good lead pretty much the whole first half um but then Torrance Watson decided to give the Tigers a little bit of momentum going into halftime he had a little solo 5-0 run where he uh made a basket got a steal made a three um to cut the lead to single digits so it was 49 40 at halftime which um, Missouri giving up 49 points and a half that yeah. is not acceptable Missouri is not uh, I mean obviously been a inconsistent shooting team but they've been inconsistent on defense too I mean if you just look at the Ole Miss game the first half they gave up 49 points and the game we're about to talk about against Alabama they against Alabama's probably even better offense than Ole Miss held them to 50 points for the whole game so just two completely different defensive uh, efforts against these two teams. Um, but that yeah. first half was, was ugly. Yeah. Ole Miss is actually just one spot ahead of Mizzou in, uh, in the S in SEC play in offensive efficiency and Alabama's up at fifth. But I mean, th- that's the case for them too. Offensively They're uh, for speaking about Ole Miss, they're very inconsistent as well. Um, th- I mean, they might be as streaky as anybody I can think of because that when they get hot, uh, they're super hot because Blake Henson. Oh my gosh! Like nineteen first points half, in the yeah. first half, Ridiculous. and then he really didn't do a whole lot in the second half. At least no. not even close to what he did in the first half. I think he made like three or four threes in the first half, and I don't even know how much he normally shoots threes, but he was he was on for sure in that first half. Yeah, he finished with nineteen points. So, oh wow! Did that he was have, all first half? Every single one of them in the first half. Yeah, and. I think he was at one point, I think he was three of four from three and he finished the game four of nine. So his second half was absolutely nothing to write home about. Mm -hmm. Um, Missouri kept that momentum though. uh, Going into the second half, they ended up tying the game at the end of a 16 to two run. They tied it at 51 all. So that was the kind of, that was the Missouri offense where, you know, just a few shots go down and their defense clamps down a little bit. And obviously the one thing I could almost guarantee is Missouri's not going to have back-to-back halves where they give up close to 50 points. Yeah, that is true. 
and we talked about in the Mississippi State game where it felt like they just kept making a run couldn't get over the hump but the Ole Miss game I mean it was unlike anything I've seen where they would tie the game and then they would get down by like five or six and then they'd come back and tie it I mean that happened probably three or four times at least where it was like oh okay we're kind of letting it slip away and then we would like climb back in and then we let it slip away again just over and over and it was so frustrating to watch I bet if this game had another five minutes on the clock, we probably would have come back and tied it at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a 16-2 to two run, uh, that's going back to that 5-0 from Watson at the end of the first half. That's mm-hmm. that's a huge thing to for, for Ole Miss to overcome yeah. in that game. You know, if a team does has that kind of run against Missouri, you're like, well, yeah, there it goes. Yeah, but that that's, that is one thing that Missouri has done well this year is – fought back when they've got in a hole and i'm not sure that's something we've seen from missouri teams you know in the last four or five years but because it's happened a lot this year where missouri's gotten down in a hole um it happened you know pretty notably against georgia they were down by like almost 20 points in the second half of that game end up coming back and winning well it started becoming an issue early in the season against uh, oklahoma and butler and butler Mm -hmm. yeah and they you know they even when this season kind of has been disappointing and not a whole lot to play for other than maybe avoiding the playing round of the SEC tournament. Uh, it's good to see that they're still fighting for the for the whole game and trying to get back in games when they when they get down and stuff like that. Uh, so obviously Missouri couldn't, like we said, get over the hump and uh, Ole Miss held on to win. Um, Xavier Pinson and Jeremiah Tillman were the only Tigers that scored in double figures. Um, Tillman has been has been pretty solid since returning from injury um limited minutes still but i think that's not i think that's had more to do with the play of reed nico and the other uh players that would usually give tillman a break at the five um i think that's had more to do with that than tillman just not being ready to take on those minutes uh, from a physical standpoint because when when tillman was out we kind of talked about how you know, it's kind of either or for Missouri. If they could either have a dominant Jeremiah Tillman, that would mask, you know, some of the issues they have with uh, Javon Pickett not scoring or the shooting not being there. Or if the guards could just play a little bit better and we got some scoring from Pickett and we had some better shooting, then a player like Reed Nicko would do fine at the five. So they kind of, it seems like they've kind of used that approach and just maybe not had Tillman do as much when he's out there and just give him opportunities to be successful in the same way they do Reed Nico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, watching Tillman the last couple of games, he hasn't been quite as involved in every play. And it seems like he has been really thinking about not fouling and um, really playing smarter. Almost. It feels like he's really just kind of inserting himself strategically into plays and, uh, maybe not having as much impact on every ev- offensive play or as as high of a usage, but just kind of in a more meaningful and efficient way. And I don't know how many fouls he ended up with in the Alabama game, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, it definitely seemed like he played more minutes with less fouls than we are used to seeing um, earlier on in the season. Yeah, uh, I'll go ahead and let you know. Um, against Alabama, he played 24 minutes as 24 minutes which is the most since he's been back from injury by quite a bit and only had three personal fouls yeah and it's not like he's disappearing either i'm not i'm not trying to say that he's playing 
less hard or, or anything like that. But it definitely feels to me like watching the game, it, it just feels like he's being smarter about where he, he yeah. kind of inserts himself in the Not play. Not forcing things on offense is what I've noticed. That and that would, that, too, yeah. um, that would sometimes lead to a turnover, which was some of his, his biggest issues early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the polar opposite as far as shooting from the Mississippi State, Mississippi State game to the Ole Miss game. Uh, this time, Xavier Pinson and Drew Smith were combined 0 for 6 from 3, while the rest of the team was 4 for 11. Interesting. So they can't just do both, <laughs> even a little bit. Uh, because a timely 3 from one of those guys down the stretch would have been a big deal in this one as well. Uh, Brian Tyree did finish with 19 points on 9 shots, so I was kind of... He was efficient and got his, you know, close to 20 points like he always does. I was surprised that they weren't kind of forcing the issue with him a little bit more to try to get him going. Mm. If I had a player like that, I mean, if Missouri had a player like that that could that you just know can reliably score, yeah, I don't, I would not care if it was on a high volume of shots. I would be like, just let's get some points on the board. Well, I, in the second half, I felt like it was he was definitely more present, but in the first half, Blake Henson was just going to town. Yeah, I, think I guess just you don't have to then letting him do his thing in the first yeah. half. He was just getting open shots because I'm not sure that Mizzou, Mizzou, Mizzou felt like this is a guy that we have to guard on the three-point line as closely. You know, we're, we're paying so much attention to Tyree that, like, oh, by the way, Blake, Blake Henson's going to make everything. So, got to guard him now. Um, and when we shifted our attention away from Tyree, maybe he, that's when he started kind of taking advantage of that in the second half. Yeah, I think there was – I actually had hope at halftime because the way that – with the way Torrance Watson finished it with that little 5-0 run to cut it to 9 – and with you just have to think there's no way Blake Henson or anybody else on that team is going to have that kind of half in the second half. Mm-hmm. If even if Brian Tyree did, that would still be, you know, really impressive for him. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of counting on his points. So I kind of felt like Mizzou had a decent shot when they cut it to nine at halftime. But I think nine was just a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, they had they still had multiple chances in the second half. There were some pretty notable plays at the end of the game where they really had a shot to to win the game or to take a lead or, or whatever the case was, and end up you know Drew ended up getting his his uh, pocket picked, and I think so did Penson. Yeah, Penson tried to cross over and right. Um, who they have a guard on their team? I can't remember his name. Schuler. Schuler, and he I kind of just always have him in my mind as a guy that makes them better, and you know he's not gonna score twenty five on you probably, but. Um, he's not the same kind of elite scorer that, that Tyree is, but he's ju- almost just as impactful like with his def- with his defense, and he just distributes the ball really well. He's just an annoying player to play against, and he came up with those huge like uh, steals at the end of that game and just kind of sealed it for him. Yeah, there was also a play where Drew Smith looked like uh, messed up the ball handler enough to get him to double dribble. Mm-hmm. Um but they called a foul on him mm-hmm. and then they all, then they called another touch foul on him like right after that. And that was a little bit of a momentum switch right there, I think. Cause, uh, in really short order, Drew Smith picked up his third and fourth foul and Conzo brought him back out with four fouls with like 12 minutes left in the game. Yeah. He was kind of being selective with how he played him, tried to, you know, sub him out offense defense. But the fact that he brought him back at all with 12 minutes left and four fouls, that kind of shows you, that we can't function without him yeah (laughs) yeah and just who's gonna score yeah because i don't know it's true 
He is uh, Mr. Reliable, for sure. Uh, let's see here. Well, we might as well talk about a win. Let's do it. Missouri beat Alabama to uh, close out the regular season. Uh, this was senior night, senior day, I guess, for Reed Nicko, uh, the only senior on the team. Um, I wanted to mention him just – its he's kind of in a unique situation where he was a, a Kim Anderson recruit who actually stayed. <laughs> there weren't very many of those. And um, – Obviously, we had uh, Kevin Perrier and Cullen Van Leer, who were more, I guess, kind of fan favorites, at least last year. And Perrier more noteworthy because he scored more. He had a you know spectacular freshman season, and he started a lot of games in his career. Um, but Reed Nico just kind of quietly has been this guy who has just been solid, a solid backup to Tillman uh, since he's been on campus. And kind of showed in his senior season that he was capable of a little bit bigger role than I think anybody ever expected him to have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I'm not sure that he was always capable of some of those things that he's done, but he's gotten better. And it seems like he's always just kind of been content with any way he can help the team. And even if that's like being a backup to Tillman and um, yeah, and that just kind of that good karma seemed to kind of pay off for him this year. And uh, when Tillman was injured, he got his time to shine a little bit. And that was really cool to see um, him legitimately make an impact in the game and felt like we really needed him to to be that. And uh, he was really efficient in SEC play. And I just felt like at times when nobody could finish and nobody could just make a play, like he was the one that can, could consistently just put the ball in. Mm-hmm. He didn't overcomplicate, you know, plays down low. Um, he would just dunk everything yeah. or just he would just found a way to get it in. Yeah, just finishing dump-offs from the guards when they would get into the paint and stuff, yeah. Um, he's a guy who, like, his whole Mizzou career has just, like, gone by like that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of weird thinking about when he was a recruit and now he's played his last season or has played his last game at Mizzou Arena. It's just kind of wild. I had forgotten that he had hip surgery his freshman year. That was a big story. You know, there was like, I think, you know, there was a lot of people just really questioning him as a player for Mizzou. Oh, for sure. Is this a D1 recruit? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And obviously Kim Anderson had had plenty of recruiting misses up to that point, guys that just never panned out as a D1 player anywhere. And he was kind of another guy on that list. Like, okay, we're getting this. 610 white dude from Minnesota with bad hips and his... and he didn't even really have staggering stats in high school either. Yeah. He uh, I remember kind of watching or kind of seeing some of his stats um whenever he we, you know we were recruiting him and he was not even scoring like double digits in games in high school. You know, he was very good defensively, but I was like, I just don't know how this guy's going to make a difference honestly and um he really didn't make a difference, you know, the first season or two, but that is just a testament to what happens when guys can stay in a program and they trust their coaches and they keep working hard and like yeah he's not a superstar but he just kind of knew his role and and just played hard and and stayed in the program and that like I really respect that yeah I think that's the biggest thing you mentioned knowing his role and there's just like that little bit of self-awareness that when you're a highly recruited player yet you're not going to be the star of the team 
I think some players just lack that self-awareness and we are talking about, you know, teenagers. Right. And w- you can see that maturity ahead of their years when they just understand their role in a, in a program and they're not going right. to, you know, kind of freak out when they don't get the minutes or right. whatever. And it's tough. I mean, think, think about it from, from a recruit's perspective, you know, that you're a teenager, you have been better than everyone you've ever played in your life. And you're talking to so many programs and so many coaches. If you're if you're in that top like 200 players or, or 150 players, you're like every coach in like your region is telling you like we need you, like you are gonna make a difference on this team. And so of course you believe that, of course you do. And you know every player probably thinks I'm going to the league and I'm gonna be the star player of this team when I come in because coaches told me I'm gonna be and I'm gonna be relied upon and because that's who I am in high school too. And, you know, especially some of the players that play against elite talent and they, they think, well, I can play against these guys, you know, on the uh, like EYBL circuits and stuff like that. Why couldn't I play against them in college? And so, you know, it's understandable that players have, you know, sometimes lose a little bit of self-awareness when they get to college and kind of have to have an awakening sometimes. And some players can't do that and some players do, but um, I, I can understand how it might be difficult for some players to make that transition. It seems like Conzo Martin as a coach has kind of, I don't know, it kind of, my theory kind of gets disrupted by the situation with Mario McKinney, uh, but it seemed like to me up until that point that he'd been pretty straightforward with his recruits. Um, You just hear things from time to time in interviews and stuff with players where they just kind of own their role, and maybe that's more of on a player-by-player basis. Um as opposed to something that Conzo is doing specifically, but it seems like I've seen a little bit of that, but now with the situation with Mario McKinney, obviously he, there was a little bit of a disconnect there, For um, sure. but when there's not, it turns into a situation with like with Reed Nico, where a player is used to the best of their abilities. A little bit of a tangent that we got off on there, but, uh, Reed Nico senior day against Alabama, uh, Missouri was able to pull off the win. And the final score was 69 to 50. Uh, we alluded to it a little bit earlier, holding Alabama to the one of their fewest point totals of the season. Yeah, I think uh, the, uh, they average in the 80s is how many points they score a year. So to hold them 30 points under their season average. 80 points a year. 80 points a year. That's They are actually terrible on offense. <laughs> uh, 80 points a game this year. That is insane. And I know John Petty has, is coming off injury. I think he's missed a couple of games. And so he clearly did not look like the same player that we saw last month um, when we played against them. But uh, they they just could not make anything. Yeah, I'm looking down at their results for the season. Their lowest point total I'm seeing is like 68, 67. Mm-hmm, I think 67. It's nuts. Yeah, and Missouri held him to 50. So... Obviously a great result for the last home game of the season for Missouri. Um, Drew Smith was your Ken Palm MVP. He finished with 17 points. uh, And he also had eight assists and only four turnovers. Um, That was another thing that I wanted to mention, though, in the the Ole Miss game was turnovers just became an issue. And you talked about the steals, uh, but there were also just balls thrown away. Um, One thing in particular, I I think this was the game I texted you and I said, 
uh, let's stop just lobbing the ball down court to Mitchell Smith on the fast break. And they actually did that in the Alabama game, but it was Drew Smith on the end of it. Mm -hmm. And he still had to save the ball in to Mm -hmm. a teammate. Mm -hmm. Um, It resulted in points, but just every time I see them make that, you know, baseball pass down the court on a fast break, I'm just like, all right, here's a turnover. Mm -hmm. Let's just value this possession and run the offense. Um, luckily it worked out against Alabama. I do respect that they're trying to score in transition because that's not always something that they've tried to do. And I think that that's made them better as the season has gone, gone on. They've been a little more aggressive in transition, but I agree with you when I see them wind up for the long pass, I'm like, here we go. Yeah. Maybe just cut out the three quarter court pass (laughs) to Mitchell Smith, especially. Yeah. Uh, Missouri just kind of did their usual thing in this one. They were excellent at the free throw line, uh, 20 for 25, um, they didn't turn the ball over too much. Um, they could have done better shooting the three. Uh, Drew Smith over three, but uh, Mitchell Smith just kind of came out of nowhere and was two for two. I, they he had another long two. That I think he must have been stepping on the line because they called it. Uh, it looked like a three. They called it a three at the time, but then they uh, revised it back to a two. Mm-hmm. So he had three huge shots right when they were kind of making their run. So clutch, yeah. And you mentioned before we started recording just that m- there was a moment in the game where it just seemed like everything was going Mizzou's way. Just switched, yeah. The The game was really pretty, a, pretty much a struggle through the first half. There was not really a point where any team got out to more than probably a four or five point lead, I don't think. Well, and that kind of speaks to the lack of offense overall. There was was no flow to the game. It was like 21 to 20 at halftime. And uh, again, the first half or the first part of the second half was almost that way too. It was just kind of a struggle. Neither team could pull away. And then just all of a sudden, um, you know, momentum is so big in in basketball games. And uh, Missouri got that momentum few things went their way i got an and one on javon pickett that i was i was kind of watching this game as i was driving here so i kind of have like certain things that stick out to me in my memory but that was one not recommended don't uh please don't do that i i was listening on the radio and consul martin specifically said buckle up phones down (laughs) well my phone was down i was just kind of like watching the game you know a little you just back and forth so anyways pretend like we didn't hear that the uh the crowd started going crazy so that's when i was like kind of like okay what's going on but uh you know there was just a few plays in in that stretch where i was like okay you know this we've got the momentum we'll hold on to it and alabama just never challenged them after that point in the game yeah it was kind of um it was kind of weird just seeing that like the last 10 minutes of the game it's just like okay mizzou just had this lead and they just kind of held on to it Mm -hmm. good free throw shooting down the stretch um uh, once again i mean it doesn't seem like mizzou can win it seems like in every mizzou win you can just guarantee that their opponent shot poorly from three. And maybe you can say that about like every team when they win. But of course, Alabama uncharacteristically was four for 25 from three. That's good for 16%. At one point in the game, they showed a graphic on the screen that they were one for 10 from three. And Mizzou was like seven of 11 in the paint. And that just kind of showed the contrast of the two styles of the teams and what was working and what wasn't. Um, I'm trying to figure out how many points everybody had here because it still felt like Kyra Lewis had a pretty good game. Yeah, he had 18. 18. Um, still kind of inefficient, though. Uh, six of 14 shooting. Um, Alabama did take advantage of Mizzou's pr- propensity to foul, um, but only made 18 of their 26 free throw attempts. Um, also, Alabama turned the ball over 18 times, and that's... 
I mean, that's something that has kind of helped Missouri stay in games and um, win a few games that are kind of toss-ups because they're able to force a few turnovers. We talked about kind of how that was the only thing that carried over from their uh, solid defense in the non-conference to the to conference play was them forcing turnovers. Yeah, and that, that's one thing they've done way better this year than last year because when you think about it, this is a pretty personnel-wise, is a pretty similar team to last year. Um, but Drew Smith has, I think, really been uh, the main proponent of that. But uh, just this team forces turnovers more than last year, and Drew Smith probably has like two or three steals a game. It seems like, and yeah, Kobe Brown is actually. Are really really solid as far as um, disruptive plays and steals uh, for a freshman so yeah two guys that were not on the roster last year that are some of the best in the SEC at uh, uh, forcing turnovers yeah I see John Petty had one point in this game that's that is not common for yeah. for him he's a very good player yeah that's pretty much all you need to know as far as like if you told me that John Petty was going to score one point I would say Mizzou would have to play pretty terribly to lose this game and that kind of shows with them winning by nine that's that's if we had previewed this game I would say if Missouri wins this Alabama's gonna have to shoot terribly Mm -hmm. and even then I don't know that they can shoot uh, poorly enough for Missouri to take advantage yeah and I mean I think one thing we've been missing you know we talked about these other two games where we couldn't get Drew Smith and, and Pinson were, were doing really well, but we couldn't get the rest of the team to show up. And I and I felt like uh, this game was, was pretty balanced. I mean, uh, Drew Smith had 17. Uh, Pickett had a little better game. He, had, he only had seven, but he had a, like I, like I said, he had a big and one that kind of really helped in that momentum swing. Mitchell Smith, 10 points, a couple of huge threes. Tillman had eight. Mark Smith had 13, and Pinson had nine. So I felt like there was a lot of guys that contributed, like, really good minutes to this game. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, some another, of Mark's points were in garbage time, but yeah, he did have still a, counts. He had a nice little garbage time three pointer. <laughs> um, Missouri also dominated on the glass. They out rebounded Alabama by fifteen, and that's something that uh, a lot of kind of analytics and stuff in college basketball they don't look at the just raw rebounding margin. They look at uh, are you expected to win the rebounding margin, and it's kind of like a, a handicap basically for rebounding. Um, and then do you outperform those expectations? And without even looking it up, I know Missouri outperformed their expectations here. Um, and that's important when you know you have an advantage on the boards to go out and outperform your expected advantage. That's, I don't know, just extra shots. And couple that with Alabama's turnovers. Mm-hmm. And I think there's nothing more frustrating than the opposing team getting offensive rebounds and getting second second and third chances yeah there was a huge uh i can't remember if it was one of i think it was mitchell smith's first three-pointer uh came off of an offensive rebound and i'm pretty sure up to that point missouri was over they had not made a three-pointer until mitchell smith made a huge one Mm -hmm. um anything else you want to say specifically about this alabama game covers it for me I think what we'll do is we'll go ahead and talk about the SEC tournament a little bit and we'll save a proper uh, season recap uh, for uh, probably middle to late next week when we kind of know what uh, Missouri has done uh, in the SEC tournament. If they make a run to the championship, well, we'll just have to record anyway and, and, and see how it goes. But um, 
chances are we'll are you probably that? chances are we'll probably <laughs> be able to do our season recap uh, here in a few days. Yeah, at least after after Friday. Yep. So the big story now with a Missouri win today, they've put themselves in the the position to potentially avoid the plan playing round yeah so the lowest or the bottom four teams in the sec standings uh so seeds 14 13 12 and 11 they have to play on wednesday just to basically get a chance to enter what they call the second round but um what would really traditionally be the first round um and then the top four teams if you're lucky enough to be one of those uh they get a double buy so they're automatically put into the quarterfinals uh for friday so we were looking at some of the uh, scenarios. We were running through lots of different scenarios in our heads and out loud uh, about what Missouri seed could be. And so we got two games left in the SEC slate tonight. Uh, Arkansas, Arkansas is the big one. Arkansas and AM. That game's at AM. And right now, uh, Arkansas is down 46 to 41. Oh. With uh, 13 minutes to go. Okay. Okay. So if Arkansas loses, that's big. Yeah. And Missouri will most likely avoid the play-in game, I think. Yeah, we're trying to figure out how Missouri can not be in that uh, bottom four. And we firmly believe if both Arkansas and Ole Miss, who plays Mississippi State, if both those teams lose, then Missouri will be out of the bottom four. Mm-hmm. As the 10 seed, yeah. Uh, it's still possible that they can accomplish that if just Arkansas loses uh, because if Arkansas loses and Ole Miss wins all three of those teams will be sitting at seven conference victories Mm -hmm. and we're not exactly sure how the tiebreakers work themselves out but um, Mizzou's win over Auburn would be pretty big in that situation we believe Um, if just so if uh, Arkansas loses then they'll be tied and and we also believe in that situation that Auburn win would come into play. Yeah, because Missouri's one and one with both of those teams as far as so the tiebreaker can't go to a head to head. So whatever the next step, whatever the next thing they look at, which is what they'll have to do if all those teams are sitting at seven wins. So worst case scenario, Missouri is the twelve seed and will be playing Georgia mm. on Wednesday. Which I would consider significantly worse than the other two scenarios which would be the 11 seed playing Vanderbilt or the 10 seed not playing in the play-in game at all yeah uh yeah the 11 seed playing Vanderbilt would be way better although Vanderbilt uh gotta win who would they just beat they beat South Carolina South Carolina today yeah which I mean every it seems like every SEC team that has been like on the bubble in the last month has struggled has just worked themselves right off of the bubble yep. except for maybe Florida. Florida may be the only team that actually improved their situation in the last month of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh so worst case scenario Missouri plays Georgia and then probably maybe Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. They would play the 5 seed. Um best case scenario they actually get all the way up to the 10 seed and most likely play Texas A&M, mm-hmm. who would be the seven seed. And if they win that, they, they would, would play... They would play Auburn. Auburn, the, the two, two seed. seed. Yeah. So if you're looking for a path, you got to be rooting for both Ole Miss and Arkansas to lose. Which it, by the time you're listening to this, that those games will probably both be over. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So we got to hope that, the, that both those teams lost and then... Uh, a matchup against Texas A&M in the first round is not the worst, not the worst, you know, thing you mm-hmm. could ask for. 
And then Missouri already beat Auburn this year, so just do that again, and then you're in the semifinals to play probably LSU. LSU. And they Who played really well. Anybody. They played re- really well in Baton Rouge, so they're probably going to beat them. And, and then you're looking at Kentucky in the championship. Yeah, which is would be an easy game too. Yeah, well, Kentucky could just get upset by Florida, and we already know what Missouri did with Florida at the beginning of the season. True. Yeah, it's seeming like a pretty pretty clear path to the NCAA tournament at this point, right? Yeah, I would say so. That's sarcasm, guys. Yeah, that's definitely Please a joke. Don't be alarmed. Uh, although last year, if you want to go back and listen to that episode, this time last year I was actually putting out there a legitimate path to not to win the SEC tournament, but to get to the championship game. How'd that turn out? It didn't turn out well. Uh, Missouri did not get to the SEC championship game <laughs> last season. Well, uh, they might do it this year. One of these times when Mizzou's like in the top four, you know, probably next season. Just kidding. Uh, we'll have to take a trip over to Nashville. That'd be it's a beautiful city. Or so I've heard. I've actually never been there. But um, the SEC basketball tournament should always be in Nashville. Yeah. Aren't they moving it? I don't know. Uh, I think it's been on a rotation. Yeah. But in my opinion, it should just always be in Nashville. It makes the most sense geographically and as far as like how nice the uh, the city is, in my opinion. Recently got... Uh, uh, those those rumbles on our end. If you're in your car, don't worry about <laughs> it. Uh, Nashville recently got hit by a massive tornado. Yeah. Kyle's looking up the SEC tournament location schedule. I think they played the SEC tournament in St. Louis in 2018. Yeah, I so, think that's right. So a they, lot of people complain about I, that. I remember that being like an uproar to the traditionalists in yeah. the SEC, which I kind of understand. But I, I agree. I think it should be in. I think Nashville seems like a perfect yeah. place for that. I could hear an argument for like Atlanta or. That's really the only place that you could argue, in my opinion, that would be like close to Nashville. But what about like Memphis? Uh, that's mm. not. Mm, I mean, I don't, that's still kind of north. Yeah. If you're going to have it in Tennessee, you might as well be Nashville. I agree. Um. Kyle, do you want to take a stab at who you think is going to win the SEC tournament? Yeah, I'll say Kentucky. How's that for a hot take? Yeah. Well, I did see that. Uh, is it Ashton Hagens is stepping away for a few days? I I don't know if he'll be. I know he missed the game today. Yeah, against uh, Florida, which they had a remarkable comeback to beat Florida today. Kentucky did. Uh, I'm assuming he'll be back for the SEC tournament. Um, and if, if he is, I think Kentucky uh, Kentucky wins this thing. I think they've won like four of the last five SEC tournaments, except for last year when Auburn made a run. Kentucky was, uh, if you look at the win probabilities, Kentucky was 90% to win with under two minutes left today against Florida. So, yeah, that was a pretty crazy comeback. Uh you mean Florida had a Florida? Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was, Florida I was trying w- to understand. I was like, that. You're trying to understand my gibberish. Florida was 90% to win. Okay, that makes sense. And uh, Kentucky ended up winning with under two minutes left. Um, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. Kentucky's been the only team in the SEC that looks like they want to be the type of team that can win games in March. If you would have asked me in which you may have asked me this, but in like December, who's going to win the SEC tournament or who's going to win the SEC? I would have said Auburn for sure. 
but they just haven't looked good since uh, Okoro got hurt and that first loss they took to Mizzou. Uh, they have not looked very good since. They did destroy Tennessee today by like 25 points, but um, they have not looked as good as they did look earlier on in the season. Yeah, Kentucky does have that recent loss to Tennessee. Uh, that's kind of a, a head scratcher, but yeah, I definitely think it's going to be one and two in the championship, Kentucky and Auburn for a rematch. And I think Kentucky will win it. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm not sure you can give me an answer to, but how did Kentucky lose to Evansville <laughs> this That's, earlier this that season? That is one of the most bizarre things it's gotta in be recent college basketball history. Maybe the biggest upset ever in like the regular season. For those that don't know, if you don't keep up with the Missouri Valley, Evansville went 0 for 18 in the Missouri Valley Conference. And they beat number one ranked Kentucky at Kentucky now, earlier You could argue season. that Kentucky shouldn't have been number one, but... It's the first time, and uh, probably not even close to ever happening again, but it's the first time that a, a team has gone winless in their conference play and beat the number one team in, in the, the same, same year. Season. That's insane. Like, And I wonder what the fewest number of conference wins a team that had a win against number one. It, it can't be it's that insane. little. No. I mean, they'll have – that's such a – that does seem like such a weird record to cite, mm-hmm. but – it's not that complicated of a fact. It's just that it'll just probably never happen again. No, it's yeah, just so bizarre. So. Yeah. It's very rare for a team to be winless in their conference. Yeah, exactly. Like it was a big deal when Vanderbilt like did win yeah. a conference game last year. Usually mm-hmm. you pick up something somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Evansville did have some weird thing happen in the middle of the year. I think their coach got fired for some I think there was like a misconduct uh, in Title IX investigation or something. Yeah. But so there was some turmoil there. They were still bad. Yeah. Though. Drew Smith probably uh, made a pretty good decision yeah, they've to terrible athletic director. <laughs> hop off that uh, situation. He's from Evansville. Yeah. So, Evansville I mean, High School. It's understandable why he went there, but time to get out. He yeah. made a good decision. Yeah, definitely. Um... Man, it is that time of year where brackets will be filled out here shortly. Very excited for that. We'll do another bracket challenge with the listeners, and uh, we'll give you all the tips. I I won the Missouri Sports Podcast Bracket Challenge last year, and I gave everybody my bracket ahead of time. We went over the bracket here uh, in the studio, and all you got to do is copy me. We knew it was coming and still couldn't stop you. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, we should. We uh, need everybody to get in on that. That'll be fun. I'm sure we'll have some some giveaways and prizes for the the winner. Assuming it's not Cameron. Well, you don't. You, I'm not giving you. An, I'm not giving you a single prize. I want another T-shirt. <laughs> uh, you got anything else you want to tell the folks? I think we pretty much covered it. Don't forget covered to it. subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe. Subscribe on YouTube. Welcome to our new studio. Hope you're feeling better. Oh, thanks. I'm feeling great. Uh, let me Shout out to Missouri State. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bears, men's basketball. Yeah, we're uh, about to go watch uh, Missouri State uh, on TV. Yeah. But they, uh, a crazy first day in the Missouri Valley Tournament yesterday, number one seed, Northern Iowa, who I think is good enough. He, they won't, but I think they are good enough to have like an a, uh, at-large bid to the NCAA Tournament. They went like 25-5 and five this year, really good team. Yeah, but like they top, lost top 30 in Kempom. Yeah, they lost in the first round of the ter- of the tournament yesterday to like eight seeded Drake and then who was in a play in game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they that. they lost by like 20 points. It wasn't yeah. close at all. 
And then two-seeded Loyola lost in overtime to Valparaiso, who had also just been playing a playing game. So Missouri State uh, took care of Indiana State last night, and they play Valparaiso today. And if they win that, they'll play on national television for the uh, tournament title tomorrow. And a trip to the big dance. Uh, I misspoke uh, Northern Iowa top 50 in Kimball. Oh, okay. They have got a really good player on their team named A.J. Green. He's a... He kind did play goofy. for the Bengals. He was a wide receiver for the <laughs> Bengals, but he's kind of a goofy guy, and he's a sophomore, and he can just shoot lights out. He averaged like twenty points a game, thirty nine percent from three on over two hundred attempts this year. It's insane. He's a really good player. Saw him whenever they played here in Springfield. And that was Missouri Valley Talk, Missouri Valley Podcast. Well, see us next week for more Missouri Valley. Do you just almost say welcome, <laughs> welcome in everyone, welcome to the Missouri Valley Podcast? Yeah. All right, everybody, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, even Spotify and YouTube. We're on Twitter at Mizzou Sports Pod, and you can email us at MissouriSportsPod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert 08. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We will see you next week. I had to think about it. It was actually.